you are listening to a podcast from The National. So people were falling apart in, during this moment and it, it was really cold and that was the most scary part for me. Climbing wasn't that scary, going up wasn't that scary, the scary part was actually the crowd. A photo from the top of the world's highest mountain has gone viral. A snaking queue of people in luminous walking gear stood on the spine of Mount Everest, waiting to reach the peak. While many were taken aback simply by the fact that hundreds of climbers were all queuing at the same time to summit Everest, it was a stark illustration of the dangers that those making the ascent face as at least 11 people died making the attempt this year. More people died this week, in fact, than the entire last two years combined. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, the National's foreign editor. And this week, we're talking about a queue in the death zone at the top of the world. In the 40 years since Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay became the first men to stand atop Mount Everest, a lot has changed. Lapkarita Sherpa has climbed the mountain 17 times, and he's worked in the climbing industry since the early 1990s. He joins us on the phone from Everest Base Camp, and if the line's a little bad, it's because he's, well, at Everest Base Camp. I mean, by then, 1990, when I climbed my first time, there were no many commercial uh, companies that uh, there are probably one or two commercial companies. And then as I started working, 1992, the commercial became a boom. So by like 90s, uh, most of the people who come to climb mountain, Mount Everest are sponsor climbers or team like army expeditions or police expeditions, such like that. And today uh, is all commercial, you know, people who have money. Uh, they pay money, and then they've been guided up and down on the mountain. At the beginning, you heard Fatima Durian, the first Lebanese woman to reach the top last Wednesday from the Nepal side. Fatima spoke to us from Dubai after coming home from her climb. The viral photo was taken the same day that Fatima reached the summit. My summit day was on the 22nd of uh, May, and it was one of the most crowded days. So we started, and the day I started, I started around... Eight in, the, 8 in the evening, there was around 100 people in front of me. You can see the head bobs all the way up. So we started, and you start seeing how people start collapsing on the way to the summit. There's a lot of inexperienced people. There's a lot of permits that are given to people who are not supposed to be there. Some people have never done a mountain in their life, and they suddenly want to do Everest. Everest is definitely a big thing, but it took me four years to like practice and train to go to this place. Some people are there with no experience at all. They expect their Sherpas to take them up. They expect their Sherpas to do everything. Climbing can always be dangerous, especially for the inexperienced. But on Everest, things get a bit different. Firstly, it's cold, really cold. Even in the warmest parts of the year, it can be minus 19 degrees with ice cold winds. Frostbite, where your extremities and even parts of your flesh can literally freeze off, is a constant concern. But it's not just cold. The snow can also act as a giant reflector, and daytime temperatures at base camp can hit 32 degrees. Secondly, it's high. At nearly 8,850 metres, odd things start to happen to the human body. Even at base camp, which sits at just 5,360 metres, the level of oxygen in the air is around half the amount you would find at sea level. At the top of the mountain, it's less than 30% of the usual level. If you're planning to climb, it can take weeks to get used to the low level of oxygen, but in that environment, your body starts to lose mass, muscle strength, and your endurance weakens. Even a cough at high altitudes can dry out the lining of your lungs that then begin to crack. 
On the ascent, your body reacts by creating excess fluid that can build pressure around your lungs and your brain. Your blood can thicken and clot. The symptoms can vary from dizziness, shallow breathing, a sweaty fever, or coughing up blood. In low oxygen environments, people start to make poor decisions. They become disoriented and confused. Then at the top, it's what you call the death zone. The oxygen is so low, most people simply cannot breathe. And climbers rely on heavy oxygen tanks that can weigh 20 kilograms. More than 200 climbers have died in Everest's death zone. I saw two people collapse in front of me on that day. I was stuck. Uh, there's something called the Hillary Step between the south, south summit and the, the main summit. So it took me around two hours. It usually take, it doesn't take long. You just stand, I was standing in the line and it was so windy. It was so cold. It was around minus 35. And you really can't just stand in that environment. You need to be moving. And we weren't moving, we were just standing because there's one rope going back and forth to the summit. And the summit, you, you can see somehow the summit, but you just can't get there because of that big queue that we were standing in. So people were falling apart in, during this moment and it, it was really cold and at, that was the most scary part for me. Climbing wasn't that scary, going up wasn't that scary. The scary part was actually the crowd. I had people collapse on my backpack one woman like literally had my backpack and went back. And like, luckily we'd all clip to those ropes. A man, he, he collapsed, I understand. And it's a question of ethics sometimes. You wanna help, but you can't help in that environment. Above 8,000 meters, it's a completely different world. Everybody cares about themselves. Those people are exhausted. They would sit in the middle of the rope. And if you wanna overtake them, it's, it's not safe. You can slip and die as well because you cannot unclip from the rope. So you have to stand and you might get frostbitten because, of you're, not, because you're not moving, right? So the crowd was the major, the most scary thing about this whole expedition. They can't take it anymore. So exhaustion was one of the main reasons people were dying. Inexperience and the government was just releasing permits. Nepal's government have released a record number of 381 permits to climbers, coupled with around 300 making the ascent from the Tibetan side. That doesn't include Sherpas. And as Fatima, a seasoned climber, points out, those with less experience and the cash can just pay for more guides. If anyone has a lot of money, uh, they can just hire three Sherpas. They'll do, the Sherpa would do anything for this person to take them up there because obviously they need their tips, right? So anybody can do it at this point. If you are willing to spend two months there, pay $50,000 plus, and willing to risk your life because there's a chance for you of dying because of exhaustion. It doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to be super experienced. Like, they can take you up there. But it's sad that it turned out to be that way because a lot of people just go for the glory. I went there because I really wanted to see what the world looks like from the highest point of the world. I, I really want, like, what does it look like? And guess what? <laughs> it's blue because you're in the sky, literally. There's nothing around you anymore. It's beautiful. But like the others just go there for the glory, go there to say that they did Everest, and they exhaust themselves. And so this is one of the reasons that we mentioned they died, right? So yeah, I think it's becoming too commercialized. It's, some people climb for the wrong reasons, and it's causing problems for the passionate ones. Mr. Lapka says that despite their experience and having grown up in the extreme environment, the Sherpas are also at risk. One of the reasons the crowd was built up because there was so many unexperienced climbers on the mountain and they really don't uh, uh, pay attention to the other people and they also uh, uh, just think about themselves 
and not the other people letting uh, go by. People refuse to turn around and then they refuse to go down. And this is the reason people they die. So the clients push their limit and they don't want to lessen the surface. And then Sherpa has no choice and they keep following them and getting to the summit. After getting the summit, they're, they're out of limit. They push their limit and they were not able to get back to the camp. In 2014, an avalanche buried 16 Sherpas as they were crossing the notorious Kumbu Ice Shelf. The unstable ice gave way, sending a wall of snow that buried the guides almost instantly. The stretch is treacherous, and the Sherpas have to cross it to ferry supplies, bags, and lay ropes for the paying climbers. Those making an attempt to the top of the mountain will cross the stretch seven or eight times, but a Sherpa can cross it more than 30. 2013, uh, there was uh, 16 Sherpas killed, uh, on ISO, which is, uh, which is very rare in a long time. And among them, uh, five of them are my co-workers. And I was the first person to be, uh, be at the scene. And I dug out 11 dead bodies from same spot. Uh, those guys died because they, there's no way to escape. The, the avalanche came straight on them. There's no places for escape. And everyone buried uh, buried by the debris, and you know, uh, so as I say, you know, I lost five of my uh, very uh, good co-workers, and after that, I decided not to guide Everest anymore. But why were there so many people climbing all at the same time? The reason's quite simple: they all rushed to scale the peak when the weather was clear. In most years, the climbing season can be seven to twelve days when the weather is warm enough and the winds are safe. This year, it was just five days. With so many deaths this year, and a seemingly endless stream of people keen to conquer the world's tallest mountain, what can actually be done? I propose this to Mr. Aprism. Uh, the people who want to climb Everest, they need to be uh, climbed at least one of the 7,000 meter peaks, or they should be participate one of the 8,000 meter peaks. And then they already know, so we shouldn't be having this type of issues in future. But our government never pay attention to that. Mohan Krishna Subkota, from Nepal's Ministry of Culture and Tourism, said that while there are concerns about the number of climbers on Everest, it's not because of the traffic jam that there were casualties. He instead pointed to weather conditions, insufficient oxygen supplies and people's equipment. I think that this, uh, this is not any uh, such an abnormal case, because uh, Mount Everest itself is adventure, you know. So people are here uh, to enjoy adventure, uh, and uh, they know that uh, this type of... Uh, accident may happen. But one thing is uh, we are serious about uh, the safety and security of the uh, mountaineers and other tourists in Nepal. But not all officials agree. On May 29th, Yagya Raj Sunua, an MP, said it was time to review the old laws. And Mr. Lapker agrees. People always want to climb the big mountain. But I blame to our government. They should promote other uh, 7,000 meter peak and 8,000 meter peak. So uh, the thing is, if someone wants to climb Everest this year, he or she should be uh, climbed, should have climbed at least one of the 7,000 meter peak in Nepal. That means you are generating same amount of work to the local people, the Sherpas community. But uh, same time, uh, the mountain will be safer, or Everest will be safer because they already have uh, quite a bit of experience by the time they climb 7,000 meter peak and they participate on 8,000 meter peak. So they know, uh, you know what to expect. Uh, they know whether they are capable to do 
uh, average or not. Instead of losing money, it generates more money and it products a better climate. While the human cost is the most pressing concern, the ever-increasing number of visitors takes a huge toll on the environment. On Camp 1, uh, you barely see any trash because people don't stay there. Camp 2, you see some trash, which is the tents, because when there was a storm, there was a really bad storm this year, so the tents were destroyed. Who's going to take these down, right? Camp 3, you barely see any trash, uh, the, when they t- but you still also see like those tents that are broken. Camp 4 is pure trash. So Camp 4 is at 8,000 meters. Uh, nothing has been taken down. You see oxygen bottles, you see equipment of people that leave behind, you see a lot of trash bags, you see a lot of uh, uh, the, the leftovers from the food. It's really bad. My expedition, what I love about it is they take back their trash all the way back to the city. They have a special program for that. And there's diff- different uh, companies that are doing that. But there's some companies that don't do that. We teach like leave no traces, which is the uh, which is the big thing that we teach to our shelters, our clients. Our clients bring their human waste from upper mountain. We provide two to three plastic bags, which is called white bag. Uh, you can use that two to three times. Uh, clients bring their own white bag. My shelters bring their own white bag down. They use white bag higher on the mountains and bring that. But if you teach this system to all of your uh, uh, shelters or your clients, Uh, The mountain should be clean. Thanks this week to Lapkarita Sherpa at Everest Base Camp and Fatima Durian, Lebanon's first woman to reach the top. This was Beyond the Headlines. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any of your favourite podcasting apps. If you liked this episode, please leave a review. I've been your host, James Haynes-Young. Join us again next week.